It's a great group of kids, isn't it? talking with a medical doctor last night, a guy I just met, and he lives in Beeville, and um, he was asking about our church, and I was telling him, and he was asking if we had any kids in our church, and I said yes, and he said, man, that's a very valuable thing. He said most churches nowadays, the ones that he knew, um, he said they're dying, <clears throat> and there's no, no children coming up. So uh, I was telling him that God has been faithful to us, and we've got a lot, and we've got more coming, <laughs> and we're here rejoicing. Um, most of you know that uh, Casey and Ryan had their baby. Uh, Lavery was born. She's about a week and a half old now, and she's doing really well, beautiful little girl. And we've got uh, two or three others that are in the process, and so we are just rejoicing and praising God, the creator of life. So there was a man by the name of Horatius Bonner, Bonner and uh, Horatius Bonner made this statement. Holiness is not measured by one great heroic act or mighty martyrdom. It is of small things that a great life is made up. And so it's the small things, the little things, that are so important to us. So in... Luke chapter 8, he's talking about the seed of God's Word being planted in our hearts. And as Jonathan was sharing with the children, that seed goes into the heart. And our heart then takes the Word of God and does something with it. Or the Spirit of God begins to, to work through that seed. Sometimes our hearts are hardened and we don't, uh, we don't pay any attention at all. And so it's, God's word is coming to us, but we're not receiving it. And we're like that hard, hard rock. Um, and so other times there's the seed that follows and it falls on top of stones. And it begins to germinate, but then because of persecution or because of uh, it's not a popular thing to do, um, then it dies because there's no root because we allow the Word of God to come so far, and then we say, I, I don't want to do that. And so we cut it off. The one that we're going to talk about today, the seed among thorns, um, we'll talk about it shortly. And then the, the fourth kind is the seed that falls on good soil, soil that's receptive, soil that's longing to, to know God and to hear. Um, it's, a, it's an issue of the heart. It's what uh, Kara was praying about earlier. Um, asking God to show us his will because we want to do that, making it plain so that we don't misunderstand. So today we're going to talk about the seed that fell on the soil that was choked by thorns. So these are the people, as Luke tells us, who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. What that means is they do not produce fruit in their life. And the kind of fruit we're looking for is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Those are the kinds of fruit that God is wanting to work in us and through us. And if those things are not evident in our life, it may be that the cares of this world, the worries, 
the riches, the pleasures of this life are choking it out. What he's talking about here is he's talking about everyday life. That's why I emphasized this morning in the call to worship, it's day by day by day that we are to be praising and worshiping God. In the first chapter of Hebrews, the writer to the church, um, the general letter to the churches, and he says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And so he's acknowledging that in the past, God spoke through prophets. He spoke in many ways, uh, different times, speaking to people. Chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And so writer of Hebrews says it's not enough just to hear. If we don't take to heart, if we don't pay attention to what he's telling us, then we're going to miss the things that God has for us. And he says we need to pay careful attention to what God is saying to us, lest we drift away. And what that word means literally is you've got a big bucket full of water, and it's got a little hole in the bottom. And you look at it and you think, well, uh, it's just a little hole, it's no big deal. But as you go day by day by day, what happens is one drop at a time, you're going to end up with an empty bucket. And it's not anything dramatic, it's not anything critical or a crisis thing. It's in the process of the day by day walk that we let things drift and it leaks away. So C.S. Lewis and his letter to uh, Screw Tape Letters made this statement, and it's an important one. He said, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You just kind of drift slowly away from the Lord, and all of a sudden you find yourself, uh, you're not praying much anymore, uh, not reading the scriptures anymore, uh, allowing old habits to come back in. It's just everyday life, right? In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, um, the lover is talking to his beloved, and they're making a statement. He's longing to see her face, and he makes this statement, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in blossom. And so what this represents is this represents the, the foxes represent the everyday annoyances and cares that may interfere and damage their love for each other. Now, those who have been married for a while, they understand that, don't they? Uh, when they're courting, everything's just right, and you're responding just right, and you're, you're speaking in a nice way, and you're, you're presenting gifts, and you're thoughtful, and you're kind. But after you're married... After years of marriage, oftentimes we let those things slip. And when those things slip, then the marriage begins to, to be vulnerable. The little foxes. Because little foxes, what they do is they eat grapes. And so you let the foxes get into your vineyard and they destroy the fruit. And so that's what he's warning us about. 
So our lives, think about it. Think about your life. I can think about mine. All of us have times of crisis, don't we? But those crisis times, uh, for most of us, they only happen occasionally. Now, some of us with large families, we have one every day. But, <laughs> but, but I'm talking about the major crisis. You know, they're kind of sporadic. They, they kind of come in waves sometimes. But most of our lives are of the everyday, normal, routine variety. And too often, in the ordinariness of life, we tend to put our lives on cruise control or automatic pilot. And we find ourselves going through the routine of every day, just going through the motions. And if we're not careful, this begins to take place in our walk with the Lord as well. It becomes the same old thing. You're going through your motions of having your prayers, you're reading the scriptures, but as you're reading the scriptures and as you're praying, you're thinking about all the things I've got to do today and about the crisis that's coming up over here and the things I've got to buy. And I, I forgot to do that, and I sure need to do that as soon as I finish my, the praying here. And I've got to get to the end of this chapter because i just got to get this done. Um, and there's no real communion. There's no real communication taking place between us and God, going through the motions on autopilot. <clears throat> and yet, as we read through scriptures, we find that it's in the very everydayness that God often speaks to us and gives his greatest revelations. Think about the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus were so powerful and so eternal because they're taken from the context of people's normal, everyday lives. So he tells a parable about a farmer planting his crops. He talks about a parable of weeds growing up in the garden, of a woman losing a piece of jewelry, and so she cleans her entire house desperately wanting to find this deal. Did your wife ever lose her wedding ring? Oh, well, man, you're taking all the plumbing apart, you're vacuuming the floors, you're dusting everything that hadn't been dusted in years. I mean, you're moving stuff and looking. Um, parables of family relationships. So we've got the prodigal son. Uh, parables dealing with victims of crime and people's kindness and offering assistance with the Good Samaritan. Uh, parables of bread making, uh, yeast. Parables of lighting a light, turning the light switch on. Those kinds of things. Everyday things became object lessons for Jesus to convey to us uh, the nearness and the everydayness of the kingdom of God. God spoke to the prophets while they were in the marketplace or walking in the fields or looking at a tree. And as we pray, uh, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And as we're thinking about that, um, we might also be aware of the significance of the small things, the little things in our lives, the little foxes. I pastored a church uh, for a couple of years in Hooks, Texas, just outside of Texarkana, and we had a family of dwarfs. And uh, uh, they're good people, faithful members of the church, um, and they had uh, little children. <laughs> and and uh, they would sing in church sometimes. They would have to get a stool so they could stand behind a pulpit. They would stand up there and they would sing, It's a Small World After All. <laughs> uh, and they were right. It's the small things in our lives that often do the most damage. Also, um, Jesus takes, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he compares it to things that are very small. And he's showing us that 
in contrast to the things of this world that places the emphasis on power and bigness and greatness and loudness. The kingdom of God is not like that at all. And so he uses descriptions that talk about yeast, a little yeast in the, in the loaf of bread. And just that little yeast, though, it is extremely powerful, and it works its influence and affects that whole loaf. Or he talks about salt. You put a little salt in, and it goes a long way as a preservative, as a, uh, enhances the flavor. It talks about light, um, lighting a candle, those kinds of things. And it's in this, oftentimes, it's in the everyday things of our everyday life that we lose our way. There was a television show that we watched, and I made a statement in there. And it says, the guy says in here, just before he commits suicide, on the road from Gethsemane to Calvary, I lost my way. And the church today is filled with people like that. On my way from, Calvary, from Gethsemane to Calvary, I lost my way. So the church and Jesus and God talks a lot about obedience. Where does that obedience take place and when does it take place? Where is the life of faith lived out? It's in the everyday aspects of our life, isn't it? That's where the obedience takes place. That's where the, fight, the life of faith is actually lived because faith is not just an abstract concept. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of looking at others. It's a way of interacting with one another. And it's a day-by-day -day process. Stop and think about the last argument you had or the last several arguments you've had or the big crisis in your home and family when two or more people were involved at loggerheads. Now I want you to stop and think, what caused it? What was the reason for the argument? And was that reason something that is very, very important? For us, for me, no. Choosing something really stupid, <laughs> some really small thing, and then the lines are drawn and the, and the weapons are out, and then you're not going to back down, and it's a silly, stupid thing that doesn't make any, any difference after all anyway, does it? And yet we allow these things to come in and destroy the peace and harmony of the family or the relationship. It's these little things. So, Psalm 25, the psalmist, part of the prayer that he says is in um, 25, verse 5. I'll back up and include verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So hope, if it's going to be effective, will impact our life all day. Not just during devotions, not just during church, uh, not just when we're praying, all day long. And it will affect every area of our life. As you read through the New Testament, we see the teachings of Jesus, we, we read about the miracles and all of that. But if you look, and if you read the Gospels carefully, um, that's a very small part 
of the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. Those men left their homes and families and their jobs and they walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years. And all of that teaching and all the things that he did, if you put them back to back to back, would take very little time. So what was going on all the rest of that time? The disciples, two of the disciples from, of John, when this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, they were there talking with John the Baptist and Jesus was walking by and John said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. So these two guys, they follow Jesus. So he's walking down the road, two guys are following, so he turns around and he says, well, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, Lord, uh, where do you live? Where are you staying? Well, he could have whipped out his business card or he said, well, well, you got your iPhone here, I'll just give you my address. He didn't do that. What he said was, come and you will see and so they went and they spent the rest of that day with him. And they're going to end up spending the next three and a half years with him. And so it's an invitation. It's an invitation not to come and listen to a sermon or listen to a teaching or attend a class. It's an invitation to come and walk with him every day through the ordinary things of our jobs, our relationships, um, the pressures of life, the different things that, that demands our attention. And as we face the different crises and go through the different difficulties and problems that we all face, he's right there with us. And so if you want to know what Jesus is doing, he's here with us every day. And so most of this three and a half years was just walking with him on a day-by-day -day basis, walking down the road with him, trying to find some place to eat, trying to find a little shade to get out of the hot sun, trying to find something to drink, place to stay that night. They were moving around. Um, talking with people, interacting with people on the way and where they were, wherever people were. They were talking and sharing every day. Uh, a recent author named Eugene Peterson has written a book. It's a very good one. The title of the book is significant. The title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what discipleship is, isn't it? A long obedience in the same direction. And that's what the disciples did when they walked with Jesus. Y'all know anything about Enoch? Who was Enoch in the Old Testament? Remember him? He walked with God, man who walked with God. Now this was way before Noah even. So this was very, very early. And you remember Enoch, he was the guy who walked with God, and he was not because God took him. He didn't die, God just transported him directly to heaven. And Hebrews tells us that before he left, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, you know what about Enoch that we don't know or we don't look at very often? After he had his first son, it says that Enoch walked with God 300 years. I have a hard time making it through one day. <laughs> Enoch walked with God 300 years. Every day, walking with the Lord, step by step, whatever he was doing, wherever he was at, whatever he was, whoever he was with, he was walking with the Lord. And that was a time they didn't have the Old, they didn't have the Old Testament. It wasn't written yet. Uh, didn't have the commandments. They weren't given yet. Uh, flood hadn't happened yet. This was before the flood. And so it was a very wicked, uh, evil, violent place that he was living and he walked with God 
300 years. Um, kept his innocence, kept his relationship with God, kept his dignity, kept his integrity as a person. 300 years in that kind of society and culture, the kind that was wiped out by God shortly thereafter. So I thought about Enoch a lot, and I thought, man, wouldn't that be great to be translated directly up into heaven? wonder what it takes to get there. Walk with God every day for 300 years. <laughs> so it's a day-by-day -day walk. You remember that um, in the parable of the talents, or the parable of the minas, if you want to, depending on which gospel you read, um, there was a landowner who called, his faithful, who called his servants together, and he gave them, he entrusted his wealth to each one of these, a little bit for each one, and for each person what they were able to, to handle. Some had more, some had less, because some had different talents in different areas, different abilities. And you remember that um, after a long time he came back and there, there was a settlement that's taking place, an accountability, a reckoning. An accountability, God is saying, or the, in this case it was the, the master was saying, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? That's the, what God's going to be asking every one of us, isn't it? What have you done with what I've entrusted to you? And the ones who are faithful... This is what he says. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Luke puts it this way. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, as the song used to say, you have to be the servant of all. And as we're faithful in the small things, it's those small things that enable us to have the responsibility to bear greater things. Brother Lawrence put it this way, our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities just as our prayers unite us with him in our quiet devotions. It's quite a statement. And he lived it. Our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us with Him in our quiet devotions. So our daily walk can do one of two things. It can dull our spiritual senses and slowly allow our life's worries, riches, and pleasures to choke out the growth and development of God's Word. And in that case, it doesn't mature or produce fruit in our lives. And so, um, one of the things that was so distressing, um, and one of the reasons that the, the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, was because in the everyday walk with God, they began to take his presence for granted. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. Forty years wandering in the wilderness. It's a wilderness, and there's a lot of people, and they've got their flocks and herds with them. So you've got lots of people, lots of animals, and they're out there, and the land cannot support them. It cannot. And the people are griping and complaining and accusing God of bringing them out there just to destroy them because life is hard. Does that sound familiar to any of us? 
Life is hard. It's not by chance that 85% of the psalms are psalms of lament. Whoa, is me. So they're out there in the wilderness. Every single day, God provides for them food, for all of them. There's a miracle taking place on a daily basis. But after, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you have a miracle every day, and it's not a miracle anymore. Well, the thing is, yeah, it is. It's just as miraculous on the 40th year as it was the first day. It's a miracle that God has done for you, and he's provided for you, and he's caring for you. Oh, but we're used to it. And so we begin to take it for granted. Every day it's going to be there. I can live what I like. I can do what I want. It's going to be there. Well, no. There's no guarantee of that. Even people under God's judgment, under the wrath of God, God provided for those people every day for 40 years. And so it's no, the miracle is not less miraculous just because it's repeated. So it's in the everyday lives that we need to be aware of God's presence and the gifts and provision that he's made for us. On the other hand, our daily life can be one of consistent transformation into the character and image of Christ. The Holy Spirit working in and through us that the light of Christ's presence might shine through us in ever-increasing ways. And this is what Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, The glory of the Lord is being seen in your life and my life day by day, every day, in increasing measure as the Holy Spirit does His work of changing and cleansing and purging, redirecting, refocusing, energizing, providing for us on a daily basis, speaking to our needs in that way. It is day by day that the fruit of the Spirit quietly grows and matures in increasing productivity to the glory of God. Day by day. That mature, that seed germinates in the ground, then it begins to grow, pushes up through the dirt, begins to put on leaves, then it begins to, to, to blossom and bloom. Day by day, it just quietly, consistently growing. You don't hear... You go by the corn fields or the cotton fields or the wheat fields, you don't hear those plants out there saying, I'm growing, I'm growing, look at me, I'm producing fruit, look at me. No, they just quietly go about doing what God created them to do. As Christians, we don't have to blow trumpets or wave a fanfare. We just need to walk with God consistently every day. In the, in the million and one everyday little decisions that we make, we are glorifying God or we are glorifying self, every one of them. Paul says, Holy Spirit's at work within us to create the glory of Christ in you and me in ever-increasing ways, day by day by day. The maturity that he's looking for, the result of God's presence in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise and the hope that we have. When we think about Psalm 68 when it says, Praise be to God who daily bears our burdens. 
Salvation comes from God. It's a living salvation. It's a living deliverance, an ongoing work that you do within each of our hearts and in our lives. So as we come before you today, Lord, we pray that you would draw us back to that consistency, that fruitfulness in your kingdom that demonstrates itself in the quiet flame of the life of the Holy Spirit working in us, the life of Christ, and that his life might shine out through us in a a world of darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.